Hi, everybody. You're listening to the SEA Podcast, a show brought to you by members of the Specialty Coffee Association, where we feature talks and lectures from specialty coffee events around the globe. My name is Vicente Partida. This week on the SEA Podcast, we've got a talk by Ben Zabodi, co-founder of Pro Baristas, a project in the UK that provides unemployed people with the training and opportunities they need to find quality jobs in coffee. This is our second talk from Colab Belfast, which took place in November of last year. Colab is a seminar series hosted by the Barista Guild of Europe in cities across the continent, and it's coming to Romania this May. Join the Barista Guild of Europe at Colab Bucharest this May 29th through the 31st and get to know the wonderful coffee community in the Romanian capital. Learn more and register at baristaguildofeurope.com. That's baristaguildofeurope.com. In this talk from Colab Belfast, Ben talks about the business and social benefits of hiring beyond what he calls the usual suspects and discusses what it takes to develop well-rounded employees who stay inspired and engaged. Stuart Ritson, events committee chair of the BGE, moderates a Q&A with Ben after his presentation. Thank you. My name is Ben. Uh, I'm also not from Brighton, which you can probably hear straight away. I'm an American. Um, but I now do a lot of um, social projects around food and drink in which we try to care a lot about coffee, sorry, quality, but also people along the way. So quality and people in balance with each other. Um, not too long ago, we started running a barista course for the Job Centre in Brighton. The Job Centre is the government's uh, unemployment agency in the UK. And uh, this is something we do pretty regularly. We run um, high-level training courses for various entities, sometimes just for ourselves, but we try to open the door and insist on providing that to people who actually need the training, who need the entry into the industry, usually unemployed people. Um, and as soon as we started enrolling on this course, um, we had a chap that I'm gonna call Jim, who came in the door and was there every single time he could be there. Uh, he was f upper 40s, he's 48, I think. He'd been a lorry driver for much of his life. He'd had a severe accident, <clears throat> and he'd struggled with some mental health problems. Uh, I should also mention that Jim was very insecure about his age, and he's very insecure about his Cockney accent, which he felt like marked him out, uh, among other people. Um, but he was there constantly. And I, and I can't say that it was a rapid progression for him at all times. He spent a long time learning to steam milk properly. Uh, he sometimes had bumpy relationships with other people in the training program. Uh, but he ultimately took on board a lot of input around his personal behavior and around his professional skills, both. And he became somebody we were very proud of. The problem was he couldn't get a job. Even after finishing a certified course, being somebody we could refer to specialty coffee employers, uh, 60 to 80 CVs went across the bar in various cafes in Brighton, and we have a lot of cafes in Brighton. Uh, and he couldn't get a job at anywhere on the spectrum, really. And he, of course, grew very discouraged about this. And I have to say, I didn't entirely disagree with him that the industry might have been slightly discriminating against him based on his age. Um, there's one employer, there's a couple of employers that are, that are a bit more enlightened in Brighton. There's one in particular I want to think about uh, because they essentially have done away with this, the CV and interview game, right? And the reason they did that is because um, they realized that a lot of people who are good at that game, who are very good at the job interview process, 
uh, weren't necessarily great employees in the end. They also realized that there are plenty of people who couldn't communicate on a CV or in a very nervous interview sort of setting uh, what they actually could offer the company, and you can find some real gems out there. So they did away with this process entirely. I love it. And they do day-long workshops. And all they do is free. You rock up, you book in, and you spend a day with a life coach. This is a uh, bagel and coffee company, and here are the things that they focus on in their workshops. Four things. Uh, you notice barista skills aren't on here. Teamwork, customer service, working under pressure, and a sense of humor. And you spend a day in a much more welcoming setting looking at how people are with that stuff. Um, uh, experiencing coffee and or bagels is a plus. Not at all necessary for this company. Johnny's sweet spots uh, are working under pressure, sense of humor, and being sociable with other people. Um, he smashed it, he got the job, and uh, in the end, it's looking like a pretty stable career path for him. A, a really satisfying sort of beginning to a new career for somebody who's 48 years old. Now, there's a lesson here, I think, and this is part of what I want to draw out today, that it doesn't always make sense to hire your customers in a speciality industry. I'm probably going to go back and forth between speciality and specialty today, American, English. It's, I, I get a bit schizophrenic. Um, but in, uh, in specialty or speciality coffee in particular, I'm not sure it always makes sense to hire your customers, which is to say middle-class people who get quality coffee. Yeah? Why is that? Let's give you a bit of context. In Brighton, um, we have the highest per capita coffee consumption in the UK. I'm told, I don't have data to back this up, but I'm told we also have the highest concentration of cafes given the population in the UK as well. Um, uh, most of these will be independent, single shop sort of businesses. However, um, the largest specialty employer in Brighton is Small Batch, and we have somebody from Small Batch here with us today. Um, they will have seven shops, two carts, I believe, and uh, close to 100 employees, if you include the front office and the roastery. Um, they've kindly shared a bit of data with me, and after crunching a bit of data, we can say that their average length of employment is a year and 10 months. Probably a bit less than that if you just look at the cafes and not the office and the roastery. Um, and their attrition rate is 50%, which means in a year, in the past year, 50% uh, of their employees would have left and they would have had to replace them. That's actually quite good for the coffee industry. I know quality-oriented businesses in London that are hovering around 80%, and I think industry standard would be closer to 100% actually in a given year. High attrition rate. Um, that's worth fixing in your head. In talking with the hiring manager at Small Batch, here's some of the things um, he had to say. Baristas from other shops tend to not stay very long. By their very nature, itinerant baristas tend to not stay very long. So, so experience in coffee doesn't mean durability in your, in your business, necessarily. Some literally come for the training and then leave. Um, Small Batch will easily have the best internal training program, the most rigorous internal training program in Brighton. So you can imagine people coming for the training and not staying very long after that. Um, newcomers in this particular business mean better retention. No question about that. And both, it's worth noting, can be expensive. One, on, on, the, on the one hand, you're investing a lot of time and money up front in a newcomer. On the other hand, you have a higher turnover rate. Does that make sense? Some quick back-of-the-envelope calculations based on this data. Um, According to the head trainer at Small Batch, the cost of induction of a new employee is going to be more than 300 pounds or 335 euros. 
that's time in the training lab as well as time on the floor getting that person up to speed. Um, certified training, this is people who go on to formal certificates all the way up to the head barista level, the barista professional level, is anywhere from uh, 500 to 800 pounds or 900 euros. Quite a lot of money. If you imagine then at a company this size, 50 people a year leaving, you're easily talking about an extra salary just in turnover costs and getting people up to speed. I don't know how you feel about that. I don't know if you've ever looked at numbers like that before. But um, significant figures, particularly as you start to scale up. You might also think, I own one cafe. Uh, our turnover is pretty great. I lost one person this year. Part of what I want to think about is the larger industry, is, is all of us together, essentially. Where are we headed as a specialty coffee business? It's worth noting, I think, that we're also in the middle of, a, of an industry conversation around um, gender equality around diversity. And there's, you know, there are people very loudly questioning whether we are going to be a truly diverse industry, a truly inclusive industry, if we continue to look like we do. Which is to say, maybe you look like me. Um, here's my question. Here's the point of all this. What if we had a hiring strategy in specialty coffee that focused on the people who most needed the work? Now, immediately you'll think of several challenges with this. You'll think of the skills gap that's inevitable in, in, as a policy hiring newcomers. Um, you'll think of uh, lorry drivers not being known for their customer service skills, for example. Um, but let me just focus on one simple equation that I think is interesting, and it, and it may not be uh, something that's widely known in our industry. A couple of key facts that I think can change the conversation a little bit. Number one, we do have a skills gap. We know we have a skills gap. We have a shortage of highly trained baristas. In Brighton, I can tell you, basically, the specialty shops are all just stealing them from each other. They're just rotating constantly. They're just they're circulating around, and, and we, we've just looked at the, the turnover costs of that. Um, in the UK, specialty coffee's grown by 12% a year, very comparable numbers in other countries in the EU and America as well. Meanwhile, you may, not, you may be less familiar with this, we have, a rise of what, uh, we have a rise in what the government likes to call NEETS, which is kind of a horrible acronym. Uh, but it's maybe useful as well. It stands for not in employment, education, or training. These are young people, 16 to 24s, who have essentially fallen completely outside of the system. They're not in school. There's nothing on their CV that's going to get them anywhere. Youth unemployment in France is one in four right now. One in four. We have huge numbers of young people, and because we as a charity work with them, I can say this confidently, lots of them would kill to get jobs in our industry, but they have nothing going for them and they're not even close to being able to put that competent CV across the bar. So uh, we have a huge issue, and actually it's worth noting this second bullet point there. Um, more than half of those who are outside of the system are not even looking for work anymore, two-thirds of them female. Sorry, among females, two-thirds are in that situation. The government knows this and is throwing money at the problem. And I mean throwing money at the problem. We won't be aware of this so much. Um, in specialty coffee, but this is true. All 25 member states in the EU have pledged to provide apprenticeships to young people who are done with school and who are not going to university. That means different things in different countries, but at the very least it tends to mean government subsidized training at standards that an industry will define for itself, sometimes with a wage subsidy to the employer for taking on an apprentice. That sounds like a pretty good deal, doesn't it? We are not taking advantage of this very much in the UK. And this is 
not just the UK, it's around the EU and America as well. Uh, the government has many other mechanisms from lottery grants to many other things that fund this problem. But if we're saying in a, in a sector of the hospitality industry, we have a skills gap, and if the government's throwing money at the youth unemployment problem, there's a linkage to be made there. And that's sort of where we sit as pro baristas. I'll give you an example of how this money flows. We have a project called Bloom. Uh, my colleague in the back, Zav, runs this project. Uh, it's essentially a drop-in, an open drop-in, open doors. Literally anybody can rock up and play on our espresso machines. We have three two-group machines and six Mythos grinders and lots of filter kit and refractometers and stuff. And we're able to just play with coffee in a really welcoming, unintimidating, low-key way. And what we get is professionals working on stuff, but also total beginners just engaging in a way that would otherwise be impossible. And many times these people aren't ready for jobs yet. They might have significant challenges in their lives. That means they're not quite employable. But we as a charity are able to spend time with them and do some of that advanced work. Confidence, communication skills, that sort of stuff. Uh, Bloom, as of last week, is funded by the National Lottery. Uh, and it's also received startup grants and seed money. We run uh, certified SCA courses. We call our foundations course, course blah, 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 Barista Foundations Plus. The reason we do that, and by the way, this isn't a large intestine. This is extraction. What were you thinking? Um, barista Foundations Plus because um, we teach the Barista Foundations course and we issue SCA certificates, but we also layer on lots of stuff on top of it. Again, we're a charity. We can do that. We really enjoy doing that. So that will include personal mentorship. That will include some customer service skills. That will include some thinking around how we communicate about coffee and all that sort of soft stuff. This is uh, supported by the SCA, which we're grateful for. It's supported by local roasters and coffee businesses who participate in this training. Um, but it's also supported by the Job Center, which again is a government-funded unemployment agency that sends us funding to run this course. Perhaps most interestingly, we started the first uh, full apprenticeship in the UK around speciality coffee standards. This is a year of training, a year of coffee training uh, with a job alongside of it. Now, that's pretty cool. With a year of training, you can cover uh, barista skills up to the barista professional standard. So you essentially can end up with a head barista having started from scratch. You can also cover green coffee buying. You can cover machine repair. You can cover a lot of interesting stuff in a year's worth of training, right? People always say to me, does it take a year to learn how to make a latte? The answer is no, of course not. There's a lot of other stuff we can talk about. I don't know whose accent that was. I just came up with that. Um, the cool part about it is that the government pays entirely for the training. It's free training. The government pays the trainer, pays for the facilities, pays everything. The government, offer, offer, the government also offers a wage subsidy to an employer who will take on an apprentice in recognition that it takes time to get somebody up to speed and not be a drain on your business. It's also a guaranteed job for the young person. It's a, tr it's a form of training that includes a paid job. Now, I think any conversation about apprenticeships needs to acknowledge that sometimes these can be really exploitative. I had an electrician working in my building who had a 16-year-old apprentice who basically just ran back and forth to the van fetching kit, and he was paid three-something an hour, uh, got yelled at a lot. That's exploitative. And I think we need to acknowledge that apprenticeships in many other industries can be a bad thing. We're speciality, we have to talk about ethical compensation as a part of this. However, there's a lot of data as well, a ton of data, I've sifted through some of it, across the EU showing that, that from Italy to the Netherlands to the UK, 
Apprenticeships mean better wages for young people who would otherwise fall outside of the system than they would otherwise get in service jobs. The benefits outweigh the costs for employers and for the government. Uh, there's a much faster transition into stable employment. And the last bullet point should be of special interest to us, given our turnover costs. They stay in jobs longer, apprentices. They stay in jobs longer. Now, barista training is actually the easiest part of what we do. <laughs> Certified, high-level, specialty skills. That's the easiest bit. The toughest bit is when you find somebody who can make a nice espresso, dial in a grinder, and steam milk properly, who doesn't work so well in a team, or who would struggle with, with genuine customer service. So as a charity, again, we have the energy to layer on top of our skills training this sort of stuff. We might uh, start to taste coffees, for example. This is just an illustration. We, we produce some bespoke curriculum. This is an illustration that we use around coffee processing. We start to explore how processing of coffee cherry affects flavor. And we use different ways of doing that. And we might taste these coffees next to each other. Now, that's a bit of coffee knowledge, right? That's a bit of coffee training. What we're actually doing in that process is we're looking for how people cope with new information. We're looking for whether they shut down or whether they start to flourish and ask questions and become curious. We look for how people cope when they're pushed a bit and they're stretched in terms of what they're able to do and what their skills are. That is then crucial information to use in mentoring somebody or developing somebody who's going to be a well-rounded employee. Does that make sense? We do defect training. We look for defects in coffee. Um, we, we train people to, to detect not just potato defect, but things that are a lot more subtle than that. But you're also looking, again, for how people respond to an extra stretch, if you will, an extra sensory stress. We, do, we use flavor wheels without words on them so that people free associate and start to use their imagination and their personal capabilities to accurately describe coffee in a way that's not pretentious or off-putting, in a way that has the customer in mind. That's all useful to a cafe, right? But what we're actually doing there, and we'll explore this a bit more in our workshop this afternoon, is we're looking for that key information about how they are as a person and how they respond to people and where they need to grow and where they need help. Now, this sounds pretty complicated, right? You're thinking hiring is already hard enough, it's already risky enough, it already costs me enough money, time, and effort. Um, again, this is what the charity sector can provide. So the argument really is that between government funding and stuff that the charity sector already does really well, these are resources we're simply not taking advantage of in specialty coffee. But we could. We could. And in fact, remember, the government's paying. What if you have, you have somebody who's got a solid core skills, who's got a personal mentor helping him forward in life, who, uh, who, who has a newfound sense of confidence, in a really creative way of talking and thinking about coffee, and you're able to hire him or her. We have enough experience now, after three years of doing this, I think, that I can say pretty confidently that person is likely to stay in your business longer, to be better with all types of customers, to be a better teammate, and to reduce your business costs at the same time as you're creating a social good in your community. Look, cafes are a part of this conversation, whether we like it or not, of gentrification, aren't they? We're blamed when rents get high, or we're at least part of the blame, right? And we have to acknowledge we're part of an economic phenomenon. We might be regenerating really cool parts of the city, like we're sitting in here today. We might also be pricing some people out of the housing market. That's just the reality. 
if, if, if high-end coffee shops are part of the gentrification conversation, then a key counterpoint might be, who are you hiring? Are you hiring the people who need the work? Are you hiring the people in the community who actually need the work and investing in them at the front end? I would argue that economically it makes sense and socially it makes sense. But not just for your business, I get it. it, this is slightly terrifying to think about as a sole business, but as an industry, we need a strategy that invests in our future workforce, that invests in the communities where we're flourishing, like Belfast and Brighton, that does social good and that makes our industry more sustainable as an employer. I think if we train in this way, if we start to take advantage of these things, if we become a bit more sophisticated in where we find our labor, you're essentially building in durability into your industry. Look, we're not the first to, to think about something like this. When I lived in South Carolina in America, BMW wanted to put a manufacturing plant, a pretty highly skilled, highly technical one that was gonna require a lot of skilled engineers. And we just didn't have the labor force for that. So they went to the government and said, we need a labor force. And the government went to the technical college system and said, we need a training program that trains people in the skills that BMW will need. And they created that workforce. And the company got the workforce they needed on a sustained long-term basis, and the population got better paying jobs as a result. We are now in an economic system where hospitality is driving an awful lot of it. We need to get a lot more sophisticated in how we train, and I think this will be durable for our businesses and durable for our communities. That's my argument anyway. Thank you. You're gonna, you're gonna have to sit, I'm afraid. <laughs> So, thank you, Ben. Um, oh, there we go. Amazing. So, I'm going to ask a few questions and then we'll open it up for you guys to ask a few things. So, w one thing I didn't get into in my brief introduction of who Ben is, is that he used to have a whole career in journalism, spent 14 years in journalism. So, I feel like just for context, it might be interesting to hear about your background in like training, how you came to be involved in coffee and the training side there. Uh, I did spend 15 years in sort of political and business journalism in America. Is this on? I think so. I don't sound as loud to myself. Um, uh, coffee was my nerd hobby. Okay. I used to be that nerd, and there aren't very many of them, who used to put my kids in the car and drive 10 hours to a barista competition after work on Friday. Um, I just, it was literally a hobby. I had an espresso machine in my house. We nerded out on the forums in the early 2000s. Um, I ran a coffee blog for a while that was uh, reasonably popular. I got to be friends with people in the coffee industry as a result of that. Um, I never dreamed it would be part of my job. Uh, eventually I came to the UK to do an MA in media, but it was media for social change. And I guess you could say I ended up in the social change end of things, running social projects for a charity in Brighton um, it's called One Church Brighton, and Pro Baristas is one of many projects we run from homeless night shelters to uh, farm horticultural therapy stuff, stuff like that. So um, uh, when I took on a building in Brighton, a large old church building, and it was empty, and we could do whatever we wanted with it, um, one of my first thoughts as a coffee person was, let's do something really wicked with coffee. <laughs> so I called Andrew Tolley, uh, Taylor Street, who's a friend, uh, and at the time he had a shop in Brighton, and I, I talked to Smallbatch, um, whose owner Al is another friend of mine, and we just sort of stood in this empty church space and went, whoa, this would be cool. Um, but as a charity, obviously, we care mostly about people. So the idea was, what if you link two problems? 
the youth unemployment problem and the shortage of skilled baristas problem and, and create a training course that plugs in as much resource as we can find into getting these people into these positions. And I can say um, uh, we supply a lot of baristas to a lot of specialty shops in Brighton. Um, there are small batch shops that employ four to five of our trainees at the moment um, in a single shop. So um, it's a lot of fun. Awesome. That's the short version. That's the, I, I didn't know this, by the way. I'm finding this all out straight away. <laughs> no, that's super interesting. I used I mean, to, my coffee blog used to make fun of coffee people. Oh, really? For being, for being very insular. And now I find, uh, I find myself fighting the same problem. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah, it's, it's a fair point that I think no matter what people do, we all seem to be facing these same issues. And actually, the, the thing you touched on with the attrition rates, I'd, lo I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on that, just because having previously worked in London, where there's huge turnover of staff, um, and now in Berlin, where I live now, there's, there's also quite a lot of movement. And it's not necessarily people leaving the city or, or arriving, but just people moving from cafe to cafe. I was wondering, in your personal opinion, what do you think causes a barista to go from one place to the next, and why is that so endemic in this industry? That's a really good question. For me, um, and again, I, I realize I'm not, I don't run a coffee business yet. So I'm not trying to say, be like me. I'm in the charity sector. I never dreamed I'd be in the charity sector. But it is a different position, and hopefully it provides an independent perspective. Um, but for me, I want to make coffee careers more satisfying for the individual and therefore more durable for the business. Does that make sense? I want to find a way that hospitality jobs in general, but in this context specifically barista jobs, can be more deeply meaningful and satisfying to people. We're moving to a service economy. The vast majority of our employment is moving into service jobs whether we like it or not. Post-Brexit, is going to get even crazier in the UK. So what do we do to make those jobs? You know, we know a lot of those jobs are quite grim. Uh, we know a lot of those jobs are quite low-skilled, low-paying. You know, there's whole sections of the service industry that are that way. Ideally, and, that, and on, let's be honest, a lot of people have seen coffee work in that way in the past. One of, one of the arguments for not hiring your customers is that they're more likely to see this as a temporary push-button job that they can do for a bit until they find their real calling, right? There'd be a lot of people, and a lot of our turnover is for that reason. How do you make these jobs more durable industry and career sort of paths? And how do you make them more deeply satisfying to the individual? That's the question for me. So I think some of, and I was planning to explore this a bit in our workshop, some of the sensory stuff that we do, some of the soft skill stuff that we do, is really about turning people on in ways that they might get to turn on on a busy coffee bar. It's about taking care of your employees. It's about well-being. And, and I, I realize all that's a cost and all that seems like a burden on an employer. But again, I think there are ways of doing it that we haven't thought about yet. And some of it is relinquishing the idea that we have to do training in-house. Up to now, we're a young industry, right? Up to now, we've done training in-house because we were determined to hold on to quality and to make quality as, as high as possible. And that makes sense. But we're maturing as an industry now. We're growing really fast. And we have to get more sophisticated in how we do quality training. And to continue to all do all of our own training in-house doesn't make sense to me. That won't create a progressive industry that's diverse and that invests in its communities and has a, a durable labor force. 
So to create sustainable, nourishing, satisfying career paths, we have to sort of work with other people and be more collaborative. Cool. Um, I think it'd be nice to hear if anyone has any questions from their audience for Ben. Bearing in mind you will get plenty of time with him this afternoon as well. Anyone, any questions? Morning Ben. My name is Shana from uh, Lustig Cafe in Paris. Um, great speech and uh, something very topical for us even in Paris where, uh, and in France where we, uh, our problem is we don't have baristas in our, in our, in our country. Um, having said that, um, my experience, uh, you know, uh, five years in Paris, uh, having set up, uh, well, the espresso bar is uh, five years old. Uh, our staff turnover is between, I think, between eight and 12 months which I consider normal. I used to be a recruiter as well, so it doesn't stress me out as much. Uh, but um, thinking about what you've said about how, how do we make this career more fulfilling and satisfying is, is a topical one as well, because dis you know, despite what, we, what interest we may have in coffee as well, there is a, there is a certain point uh, uh, at which as well a barista uh, will it will seem like sort of working on a on a chain on a you know like factory work it, you know I mean you put your your sort of you know putting out coffees you know in, in a chain and there is there is a certain sort of monotony to it and um, my you know I realize that but I'm, and I try and make it you know the job interesting or more global for, to baristas by sending them on training courses or sending them to collabs or things like uh, things like that but what's your view on on um, given the context is retention on ideas that we can we can use of it to you know to retain staff for for longer periods uh, in, in in general uh, i mean the title of your you know of your of your talk is don't hire your customers okay and i've been listening to you know where we can potential sources of recruitment as well but do you have any any global ideas on the team as a whole as well how 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 it doesn't seem like just you're working on a sort of factory floor like you know assembling car parts or something like that you know that's a that's a great question <coughs> and a big topic um, part of my argument is obviously that if you invest in in a bit more in people on the front end the true beginners in your industry that their pathway before they top out, so to speak, is longer. Does that make sense? The longer tail there. Um, that can make sense in a, in a wage sense. It can make sense in terms of just more durability around um, that me making. I think it must be. Do you want this? Better. Yeah, so just by creating a longer path, you create more satisfaction. Um, there's more to learn, right? By definition, it, it's, it's not somebody who's coming in at 50%, it's, it's somebody who's coming in at 2%. Um, as a team, that, uh, that's a great question. I feel like there are tons of people experimenting around cuppings, around trips, around well-being issues. Um, I know some companies in Brighton that are looking at uh, everything from yoga to team days and all these sorts of things to try to make people feel more supported, nourished. Um, and I don't know that there's an easy answer to that. But um, 
uh, the part of the answer's got to be pay, and we struggle with that in the UK, don't we? Partly because of the lack of tips. At least that's my perspective. I mean, my brother's a barista at a speciality shop in New York City, and he makes $10 an hour, and he gets 10 to $12 an hour in tips. That's pretty good. We don't have that structure in the UK. So I, I think, and not in France, is it? Not in France, yeah, that would be very nice. Um, I'm not a huge fan of American tipping culture, by the way, but it's just, an it's just a different economic structure. Um, I think there's a larger, perhaps, thing that we might want to come to grips with. You might ask, why should I create a well-rounded person? All I want is a competent barista. Arguably, though, no matter what we do, a certain percentage of people are going to go through that job. They're going to look for the next thing. They're not going to see it in coffee, and they're going to move into some other part of the hospitality industry. Knowing that, if we think that's inevitable, I think then we have a responsibility to create more well-rounded employees for that reason. In other words, they need to be able to survive outside of our niche. Does that make sense? We have a responsibility to the larger hospitality sector to have people who can transition into food or hotels or whatever it is um, and be competent and confident and have durable career paths in that sense, not just within coffee. There's no question that we don't have that many great opportunities past the head barista manager role in coffee. You know, the, the number of positions in a roastery are really small. So that's a problem that I don't think we're going to solve in the short term. Um, yeah, does that help answer your question? A couple of things there. In terms of creating a good, durable, nourishing team, I have lots of ideas, but I don't own a cafe, so I'm wary of sounding like I know what I'm talking about. There. We moved down to one mic, just so Hannah knows. Uh, does anyone have any? Yeah, I got a question over there. I'm going to sit with you oh, for okay. now. <laughs> um, my name's Gareth. I'm from Jack's Coffee Bar in East Belfast. Um, I, it's not really more of a question, it's more of, more of a thank you. Because before I came here, I read your title and it's like, don't hire your customers. I was like, can't be saying that. Because um, when I was about 16, I went to the place that actually trained me to be a barista. And I went there and they were like, you need the training to train here. And I was like, it's kind of confusing because you can't hire me because I need the training. <clears throat> for a place I want to work and I thought that if you had the system here I would have been in that that business a lot quicker because I have worked in like all the cinemas in Belfast and worked in most restaurants and um, but I never thought like I'd ever work in a coffee shop so when I went there I got trained for a day and then I've been a barista for about three years and I loved it and I couldn't see myself working in anywhere else and I always thought to myself, like, no, but it's just coffee. That's, that's all it is. But there's stuff that goes into it. And your system, I think it would have been great for me when I was younger. And I think because there's people who come into my place all the time and they're trying to find a job, they leave CVs in and they can't find anywhere. And I think it's that, that system's a lot better. And I just want to, like, thank you for, like, starting that up. So. Uh, yeah. Uh, one of the training tracks I mentioned was the apprenticeship, which gives you a year. And as a part of that year, and this is slightly relevant to your question as well, um, it's about exposing people to 
other career paths in coffee like machine repair, like green coffee buying, like uh, carts, low overheads. If you position a cart at a wedding festival, festival properly, you know, some pretty good profits in that. You know, exploring all the potential avenues. And this, it's what it's about. It's about finding employees like this who would have killed to get into those jobs but who didn't have a pathway in. And I think while we're struggling in cafes potentially to find enough satisfying career routes for people in retail, we desperately need more uh, espresso machine techs out there. Everybody agree? <laughs> I mean, we have one guy in Brighton as all of the business, and he is laughing on his way to the bank, and he's a great guy, and I like him a lot. Um, he needs some competition. <laughs> and, you know, I think potentially opening up those avenues to different people, there are parts of the industry that still have a lot of room in them, I think. Yeah. Hotels. You know, if somebody could move into a hotel with solid barista skills, that's a whole, that's a whole different thing. Um, mobile units, festivals. You know, we still go to music festivals in the UK and get terrible coffee. I mean, somebody needs to just do the wedding festival convention gig really well. I can tell you numbers. We occasionally have a big coffee caterer um, that caters huge conventions for like the pharmaceutical and arms industries around the world. And what they pay for baristas to go to these conventions and crank out terrible coffee is incredible. But it tells you what their money is. It tells you what they're making. And we need to get into that game. So there are paths there. It's about exposing people to them and opening them up. Hit. This one's off. No, this one is on. <laughs> I think, or I just have this booming voice on-ish. Um, did anyone have, you got one more question at the back. We'll see if this works. Yeah, that works. Hi, uh, my name's Chris. I've come over from Bristol. Um, Firstly, really, really inspiring talk. Uh, great stuff. I think training uh, is something that I know I'm a head barista. Training is something that I really, really enjoy. Uh, watching people grow their skills, and in that sense, you often see a person grow as well. Uh, goes kind of hand in hand. It's really great, but by its nature, uh, in this industry, it is quite insular. Uh, as you say, it's all in-house. Like, I mean, we're lucky in Bristol. We've got quite a few roasteries that have a sort of an open door policy. But um, sort of long story short, like your products are absolutely fantastic. Like, how do you see those kind of ideas rolling out? Like, first, like nationally, like in the UK, like kind of similar products helping roll out in other cities. Like, it'd be great to have something in Bristol like that, and then possibly even internationally. Like, yeah, how do you see these kind of things progressing? And like, do you think there is a path for it to happen? Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good like question. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yes, there are some ways of doing this. Uh, what specialty coffee always worries about is standards, and the thing that we got the most when we started our apprenticeship was, how can you assure me, am I still fading in and out? Should I just be a mouth and gank with that microphone? I think we can all hear each other. Okay. Um, uh, the thing that people kept asking us was, how do you, how can you, well, we have our, we have our standards, how, how can I know that you're trained to our standards? And that's not really a concern, but it is a concern, right, of, of many in our industry, which is why we do everything in-house. Um, I'm, I'm, chairing, I'm chairing a panel at the moment for the government, uh, which Andrew Tolley and some other coffee people are on, which um, 
is looking at a new apprenticeship that is written from the ground up with standards that will serve power, power of coffee particularly, so speciality standards. And the goal will be to set up an apprenticeship that's not just a barista apprenticeship and in Bristol it might be good and have great trainers doing great stuff and in, uh, and in Brighton it might be terrible because they don't understand speciality. We're looking to write those standards into the apprenticeship curriculum. It'll be part of a larger hospitality apprenticeship that gives people well-rounded skills to apply in multiple industries and then you can do a, a copy track if you want. And that, the reason we're involved is because I really think that could be a vehicle that would serve our industry really well and that would reassure everybody in terms of we're training to our standards, you know, we're not training to serve to our standards, um, and then the government will recognize it and quite easily fund it. The way apprenticeships work in the UK now is um, the money flows to the employer. It used to be the money would flow to the training provider. <laughs> it used to be the money would flow to the training provider and the employer would have to partner with a college to do the training. The system's just changed, and if an employer wants to deliver an apprentice or hire an apprentice, they get the money directly from the government. And if there's a bit of a training that they don't want to do, they just outsource that to somebody else and pay them the money. Does that make sense? It's an incredibly easy process, actually, for the employer. So Cafe Nero, for example, is paying a huge amount of tax, an apprenticeship levy now. They're saying, hold on, that's a big bill over here. Can we deliver an apprenticeship ourselves and get that money back? They realize that their in-house training comes 60% of the way to satisfying the government's apprenticeship criteria. So they simply tick those boxes, take 60% of the money, and the bit that they don't do in-house, they want to outsource to somebody, they just do that and pay them money. Does that make sense? So I think there's a framework in place that very soon will make it easy and that will also, I think, reassure people in this room that the standards we're training to are ours and we can start to take our hands off of all that in-house stuff. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this talk from CoLab Belfast. If you'd like to watch the video from the presentation, visit baristaguildofeurope.com and click on video. While you're there, register for CoLab Bucharest, coming to the Romanian capital this May 29th through the 31st. One more thing before we go. World of Coffee, Europe's largest coffee trade show, is headed to Amsterdam. Join thousands of coffee industry professionals this June 21st through the 23rd for a unique mix of exhibitors, educational opportunities, social events, and the 2018 World Barista Championship. Learn more and register at worldofcoffee.org. That's worldofcoffee.org. This has been the SCA Podcast, brought to you by the members of the Specialty Coffee Association. I'm Vicente Partida. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week.